I, I am excited about introducing you to people. Everybody, uh, this is Richard and Aaliyah Newsom. Would you give them a warm North Terrace welcome? Um, <laughs> you got a woo. And, and you may not know them yet, but we hope you get to know them. Uh, they're very active here, been coming for a while. Uh, they are active as Sunday school teachers. So if you have children, what, what grade do you teach, by the way? Um, kindergarten through fifth grade. Kindergarten through fifth They do a little bit of everything. Yep. Um, so is that on? Did I turn it on? I Did think, you turn yep. It on? Okay, you're good now. There we go. Um, so they're very, very active here. But they also are here and do something else that we wanted to make sure you were aware of and hear from them. So they lead what we call our FAK community group, which is kind of an extension of our NT groups, but it has a very specific uh, concept. So Richard, would you explain what, because everybody's like, FAK, would yeah. you explain what that means and what it is? Sure. FAK stands for foster care, um, adoption, and kinship. So what that entails is anybody that um, does foster care, um, anybody that has either adopted someone or is thinking about adoption, or anyone that has a kin in the house, whether that's um, raising their grandkids, their nieces, nephews, cousins, um, that entails all three of those groups. It's been meeting since the fall, and you've yep. seen a good impact already. And we would not be surprised that there's several of you who have that as part of your story and maybe haven't connected with them yet. So I want to just do a quick survey by hands. How many of you in your immediate or extended family have a foster, adoptive, or kinship relationship that you know about? Just do a quick raising of hands. Okay, again, all three services, there's been a good sampling of that, and I'm not surprised. And we know even on our staff Matt and Janie have adopted two little boys. Zach Owens, our worship minister, was adopted when he was a little guy. Um, it's been a part of a lot of stories. Uh, two hours ago, the first worship today, we have a, a, their grandma and grandpa of some biological kids, but they, they had uh, fostered like 13 children in, over those years. Uh, so it was a big part of their story too. So it's fun to hear that. All right. Um, why don't you give a little insight? Into, so what's going on? How does it work? Um, what's happening with FAK? Okay. Um, First of all, we meet once a month, starting today. Um, we're actually going to meet the fourth Sunday of every month, and we meet in the fireside room. We're going to meet right after third service, so we're going to provide lunch and babysitting. So if you um, would like to come today, you feel, feel, yeah, feel free to join us. Um, we have plenty of room. And what we do is we just get together and spend some time fellowshipping, um, strengthening each other up, and talk, usually talk about a certain topic that's on our hearts and just kind of spend some time um, along those lines. So nothing formal, just informal, get together and help, help each other out. And I think that's the key statement, help each other out. We've already had a few people approach like our, our leadership team here at North Terrace and say, hey, I'm thinking about adopting or I'm thinking about doing foster. Do you guys have any resources? And we're like, yes. We know this group of people that have already been through it. In fact, Richard, you are interning with uh, Child Protective Services right now. Yes. And so he knows a lot of the ins and outs of the systems. And so there's a lot of resources. So if that's ever been something you've considered or are actively considering, um, what a great chance for you to find out more and walk into it as equipped as possible. So let, let me give you a chance to just finish strong here. If God really makes this pop, what's going to happen? What, what's he going to do here at North Terrace with fellowship, adoption, and kinship? Well, I or foster adoption and kinship. We're, we would like to see this, and if, if, if it's God's will, what we'd like to be able to do is be able to build this group up inside the church here, and because as you can see, there's lots of us that this involves. But not only build this group up, but make it to the point where we outgrow the fireside room, may have to be able to do three groups, foster care, kinship, and adoption, three different groups, maybe, um, if that's where God leads us, but able to open up to the community. 
because there's thousands of kids out there that need this and needs um, adults to help them out. And so there's hundreds and thousands of families out there that would fit into these groups. So we kind of like to open it up to them and be able to help um, share God with them, but also support and encourage them. Good. Well, we appreciate you guys coming up here. And your little one is actually a foster that you are caring for right now, yes. right? So they're very actively participating in this as we go. Would you guys say thank you to Richard and Aaliyah for all that they do? Thank you, sir. Thank you. Well, we're grateful for them and so many. And that, that so meets our heartbeat, especially of that one more vision, that last concept of one more orphan and widow cared for. Not everyone that enters into a foster ad- adoption or kinship relationship is an orphan per se, but a lot of them are at-risk kids. And to have them be able to be in a safe home where they can be nurtured, encouraged, and hopefully have a life that just leads to a, an amazing outcome. Uh, we love that we get to partner with you all in that. And who knows? Maybe God might lead you to that at some season of your life in some chapter. So we'll see what God does with that. Well, we're excited that a group of people who have that shared experience have found each other. And there's lots of reasons we get together, aren't there? And lots of ways we, we do things that we would call community. I mean, we would say the Zanesville community, so we all share kind of a common region or city as, as something that we do together. But there are some pretty amazing communities around the world that, that meet for all kinds of different reasons. Like there's a, a group in Hawaii that have these... Um, amazing white beaches and green lush uh, vegetation between the lawn and the trees and the temperature's always right. Now, it tends to cost a little more, like a lot more, to live there, but they have that in common. I mean, I, I kind of parallel to that, anybody know where Pebble Beach is or have heard of Pebble Beach? It's a ma- famous golf course out in California. It's actually right on the coast, and we would know it for its golf course, but There's actually a community right around it of a lot of Hollywood's famous uh, and elite, uh, a lot of famous business people are very successful business people, and they share that common uh, place to live and the experience of being there. So so we kind of get our heads around stuff like that and other reasons people to get together. Now, those may be a little more like cool or whatever, but what about this kind of group? Because where my mom comes from in Wisconsin, there are things called polka clubs. Like, I try to get my head around a polka club. Like, of all the music that exists that I can't dance to, and actually that's all music and together, um, polka music ranks pretty high on the completely unable to relate to or do it. Um, But the fact that there's a group of people who get together to celebrate polka music, dance to polka music, play polka music, and they don't just, like, rent out a little room and have a little side meeting. They own, like, these huge halls with big kitchens, and they throw on these, these big shindig things, and I'm like, all right. A little bit of something for everybody. So, I mean, again, I I get my head around this. We have this group of ladies. And during our middle hour, most Sundays, they meet at Giacomo's for a Bible study and apparently some really good breakfast. And then they come to this hour worship. So some of you may be in here, but they post these pictures on Facebook because they don't just get together for Bible study. They get together for these hiking um, trips and camping trips where they actually are doing sections of the Appalachian Trail. Now, if I were to describe these ladies to you and you didn't know that, you would never guess they did it. Because like on Sunday morning, the hair is always perfect. The makeup is right. The clothes are not outdoorsy, you know, North Face Columbia. It's more like, you know, very nice, very, um, they're very pretty. And then you see these pictures on Facebook and their backpacks like clear their head by like two or three feet. So it almost looks like a cartoon character. Like you're, how are these ladies upright? Because if I were to categorize them, I'm almost call them like, most of them are kind of pixies. I mean, they aren't that big. So they're carrying like their body weight in a backpack. 
And then they go out there and they're like, yeah, we don't shower for like three days. Whoa. And they cook their food over a fire, but they have these great memories and experiences together. And they found this shared experience that they love. So community brings us together for all kinds of reasons. And we're, we're really driven for it. We have this native hunger. And I, I don't think that's a little thing that's, that's accidental. I, I, I think based on observation and then a little study of scripture, you could make a pretty strong case that God designed us to have strong connection with each other, that we, we, we hunger for it and we crave for it and, and we will do almost anything to create it. So what are the things that drive us? I mean, I mentioned a few. Let me ask you a question. What communities are you part of? If you've got elementary school kids, you're, you're probably part of your school community on some level. If your kids play sports, you're probably part of the little league or soccer or football community. And it's amazing how those become so much more than just the sporting event itself. They become these groups of people that take care of each other. And maybe you have a work community that while you do pull in, you know, your hourly time there, you end up taking care of each other and getting to know each other outside of that place you work. There's lots of ways we get together. But there's something about having a significant purpose that makes just getting together more than it would have been. And and I want to spend some time this morning looking at the idea of we're better together. That when we're together we become amazing in God's hands and that his mission and purpose in our lives, his his vision for what we could be, maybe even what we are becoming, can change everything. And I I hope this morning that, that we can encourage you a little bit, maybe step on your toes in the right ways, out of the right heart attitude. I know I've even got a little kick in the pants for myself this morning, like, come on, Steele, get your head right on this. So I hope this can be challenging you too this morning. But but I would sum it up this way as we get our heads around this, being with, or the idea of together, being with is a commitment of your heart, mind, body, and soul. And the idea would be this, that if you are giving those, given those four things as a resource that you get to invest somewhere, then if you can find something that's worth giving your all to and knowing that it's going to give you this amazing return, wouldn't that be worth it? Wouldn't it be great if you found something that you could give all your heart, all your mind, all your body, and all your soul to. Well, I don't think that is a little thing, deal. I think Jesus said that's exactly what you're being called to. And he, in, in, in a teaching we call the Sermon on the Mount, he gives some really clear thoughts about this. So I, if you've got your Bibles and your Bible apps, I want to encourage you to turn to Matthew chapter 5. And while you're getting there, Uh, and getting ready to read just a few verses with me, let me give you some context. Jesus is actually teaching a large group of people, and he's telling them about what the kingdom of God is like. And and within that, he's encouraging them with a few thoughts. And this early one that we're going to read is about what kind of people they should be like. So I want you to follow along with me, and then we're going to do my favorite thing in the world, the 30-second grammar lesson. If only grammar would have been 30 seconds when I was in elementary school. I might have gotten better grades. But, but I, we'll get our geek on for just a little bit, and you're going to find out that this word we're going to look at, it actually, when you understand it the way it was written, is going to make this whole scripture pop. So here we go. Verse 13 and following. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You all, now you are the light of the world. 
A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everything, to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. All right, so you see all that. We're going to unpack it here in just a little bit. But to really grasp what Jesus is saying, we have to understand one word. So we go back to this first verse and we see this word, you. And then if we go forward a little bit, this says, you are the salt of the earth. We go forward a little bit, then it says, you are the light of the world. Now, here's what's important, and we lose it a little bit in English. This you is not singular. And this is where having lived in Zanesville for two years is going to become handy for me. It's not you. It's you all, which we would say, y'all. So this is a plural form of it. You is you all. And, and, and it's best written that way. So if we, if we reframe that, it would say, you all are the salt of the earth. You all are the light of the world. Now, why would that be important? How does that change it at all? Well, let's, let's play with it a little bit. If Jesus were to say singular, you are the salt of the earth, then the picture becomes not many grains of salt, but one, right? Because you are a grain of salt. And if I had a really good steak and I wanted to make the flavor pop just a little bit, I might put you, my singular grain of salt on there. And if I was somehow lucky on that bite to get you, my one grain of salt to hit the right taste bud, you might do your job. But the likelihood of salt doing its job and being more powerful, more of of accomplishing its primary purpose extends or expands exponentially when it becomes plural, right? Because now instead of putting a singular grain out, I'm taking my salt shaker, and as my wife would say, would you like a little steak with your salt? You know, I shake it out. So here's Jesus' picture. You all are the salt of the earth. You are here to be poured out into the world and to bring out the God flavors of what's going on around. You're here to enhance and be partners with God in what he's already doing. And then he has this really clear statement. And if, if you lose your saltiness, then what's your point of even being? So you have a purpose, it's to be salty, and you're better when you're salty together. You're more able to accomplish your purpose. So, y'all, we are better together. Now, let's play with the second metaphor, the second concept. You, y'all, are the light of the world. Now, you know what image comes to mind for me with this? Is our Christmas Eve candlelight service. And in a room that's mostly dark, we begin to sing Silent Night, And we always start with one candle, one flame. And in the darkness, that one flame provides some light. It's not that it lacks benefit. It's just that it's not powerful enough on its own to light the whole room. But by the end of that song, as we've passed the flame along, and now there are literally hundreds of candles in the room, the glow and the beauty of all that light is powerful. And the darkness has, in many ways, been driven to the edges, and light has created this new atmosphere and new environment. What a great way to picture what God is doing with us. It may start with a single person, you, but God says it's even better when you all shine together. You and I amplify each other, support each other, bring out the best in each other when we serve God's purposes like that. So you get the picture Jesus is placing here? He's really challenging us to say, you all have been called to something significant, but if you, singular, try to do it, you're probably going to mess it up. 
He has something that's bigger, better, stronger for us in mind when we do it together. And I would call that a powerful community, that, that we become transforming. In fact, I'm, Matt gave me some of his prep notes for this message, even though I got to be the one that got to preach it. And he wrote it this way. So I, let me give you this Matt Mahaffey quote. You all, you are the life-giving, community-building refuge to the world. So you all, we are this powerful, transformative community that doesn't just benefit us. It changes everything for so many people. And when we live in harmony with that and rhythm with that, it's an amazing experience. And you may say, well, I've kind of experienced that hit and miss, but I wish it was that consistently. Me too. Because there are some threats to that kind of community experience that we need to speak bluntly about. And Jesus thought that it was so important to make sure we can live in that kind of unity better together that he really gives us some clear pictures of what is most important so we don't forget it. You see... I think it's a real danger, and I've been in some churches before that, that have lost their purpose. They forgot what was most important. And, and you may get to the point here where if you come long enough, you're going to be like, is he going to talk about one more again? Yes, unapologetically, because we believe God has called us to an amazing purpose, something that is powerful in his hands to change the world. And, and, and we sum it up with that phrase, we are pursuing God's what? God's we're about to have some issues. You got it. This is third service. I brag on you guys. Because third service is like full-on interactive. Like you guys don't even know what a rhetorical question is. Because if we ask any question from up here, you all think that we actually asked you and you answer out loud, which I kind of like. So when I ask a question, you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, do I need to get rowdy? Because we can do that. <laughs> I'm not threatening you. <laughs> I'm just, I think this is important. Look, God, God's got us on the edge of something powerful here in North Terrace. And you're part of it. And what, what he's bringing us to is not accidental. The more we have unity around what's most important, the more you will experience personal fulfillment and joy as we, you all, experience God's fulfillment and joy. I make you this promise because God made that promise. So when we pursue God's what? Okay, you're getting better. We'll warm up. We do it by doing some powerful things. One more person, one for Jesus. One more disciple trained and sent. One more need met. One more family strengthened. One more orphan and widow cared for. And we do those things unapologetically because scripture commands it. God has led us to it. And we see life transformation happen and a church that starts to thrive when we do. So let's ask this question, and it comes from a business principle, that what you value most is what you'll celebrate. So what do we celebrate as a church? Or maybe more importantly, since we need to know what matters most to God, what does God celebrate? And did you know there's actually a chapter in the Bible that I'm going to call the three parties chapter? Now, now if you go to Luke 15, and I want to encourage you to do that, because we're going to read some scripture from there. Luke chapter 15 has three stories in it. And we usually call these the stories of something that got lost. But within each of them, there's actually, they all finish with a party. And I want to focus on that. So while you're getting ready to look at that and read it together, let me give you the short version of the first two stories. The first story goes like this. There was a shepherd who had a hundred sheep. 
At the end of the day, he brought them into his pen for the night and he began to count to make sure he had them all. One, two, three. I'm not going to count to 99. So we'll do 97, 98, 99. And he looks around. And the last one's not there. And some people might say, based on risk, reward, benefit, what, why risk 99 to go find one? Keep the 99 you got. But they're safe. They're in the fold. There's probably other shepherds there. There's lots of reasons to think that they're safe. And he leaves and he goes and actively searches for the one that was lost. He finds it. He brings it back to the others. And he throws a party. The next story is this. There is a widow. And she has all of her life savings summed up and brought together in 10 coins. And she goes through basically maybe her basic accounting or assessing. And she goes, one, two, three, seven, eight, nine. And number 10 is gone. And we're like, is that really that big a deal? This was everything for her. As a widow, she was incredibly vulnerable in this culture and time. This would have been everything for her security, for her house, her food, her future. So to lose that one is 10% of everything she had. This is a high risk issue. So she cleans it. She looks everywhere in her house. The Bible even says she takes everything out of her house and sweeps in all the corners until she finds the coin that was lost. Then she calls all her neighbors together and throws a party because what was lost is found. So what does God celebrate? What does he throw parties for? Luke chapter 15, verse 7, which comes at the end of the sheep story, verse 10, which comes at the end of the, the coin story. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who do not need to repent. Verse 10, in the same way, I tell you that there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. You tell me, what does God celebrate? Something that was lost, that was found. And it isn't something, it's someone. We are God's treasures. And he throws a party unlike anything this world has ever seen when one person comes. That's our purpose. That's why one more matters. Because God thinks it's the most important thing in the world for one more to come home. So we think that too, because he's the boss. He's God. And I sure don't want to be out of harmony with him. But it's challenging, isn't it? I mean, it's so easy to lose that purpose and have things distract us from what is most important. I mean, we all got our personal agendas, our personal likes, the things we prefer more than something else. Can I speak bluntly? I'm really, I really don't care whether you say it there. You can say yes or no, I'm still going to do it. There are some times I come to church, even North Terrace, and I love coming to church to be with God's people. It's my favorite day of the week. And there are some Sundays that we have this time of worship and we sing songs I don't like. The minister just said that on video. <laughs> no, I'm serious. There's certain songs that I'm like, it's like sandpaper for my ears. <laughs> I didn't hear that clearly, but I don't know if I want to. Now listen, my last church I served at, there was this song that we played all the time. Oh, it felt like all the time called Oh Happy Day that I would like lose my will to live. And I exaggerate to make the point, but our worship minister, 
If you were in the audience, like the, the church, you'd be thinking, oh man, he's praising God with all his heart. He would like make eye contact with me the whole song. Like, yeah, I know this is your favorite. I love you too. I get it. But it's not about me. Let me paint a picture for you. What if we had a church that only sang the songs I liked? That, I, that resonated with me? Then there'd be a lot of you that'd be like, man, I really didn't like church today. And what if we sang only the songs you liked or only did communion the way you like? What if Matt or I only preached the way you liked? I want to just lay out that scenario and you tell me what kind of church that would be. But we have one shared purpose and it's to reach God's one more. And we will do whatever we can, however we can to do it. And if that means I need to be uncomfortable in church, then God make me as uncomfortable as possible so one more can come home. And if we never sing a song I like again, so that people could come to eternity and sing with God forever, then so be it. Because here's something I've discovered. Even the songs I don't like, as long as I remember I love Jesus, they become acts of worship. They become opportunities to praise him in spite of myself. They become chances for me to sacrifice what I want most in pursuit of what he wants most. Look, it's awkward. It's uncomfortable. It's not my favorite, but it's not about me. It's about the God who I'm worshiping. So why do I say that? Because I think there's a real danger of having what I'm gonna call a big brother attitude, an older brother attitude, and here's where that comes from. See, there's a third story in Luke 15. Some of you may know of it, and if you've never heard it, I'm gonna give you the the quick version. It's called the prodigal son. And in this story, there's a younger son who comes to his father and says, I want my inheritance now. You know what he just told his dad? I wish you were dead. Give me my stuff. For some reason, his dad does it. He gives him his inheritance. And it says the son took the money and he went to a far off land and he squandered it on wild living. And when he came to the end of his money, he also came to the end of his friends and he was all alone. And he ended up being so desperate and destitute that as a young Jewish man, the only way he could feed himself and make any money at all was to feed pigs, which would have been scandalous and offensive. And he was so hungry that the food the pigs were eating looked good to him. Oh my goodness, that's terrifying. And he says to himself, it would be better for me to go home and be a servant in my father's household than to live like this and die like this. So he makes his way home. And then the Bible has this beautiful picture that says, while he was a long way off. So you almost have this picture of this this long road, maybe going down a hill, and the father sitting on the front porch watching, waiting for the day his son comes home. And the Bible says, while while he was a long way off, his father saw him and ran to him instead of letting him come and kneel before him and wraps him up and says, welcome home. And in this story, God is the father And sometimes in our lives, we've been the prodigal. But I want to talk to you. And if you're a guest today, this may not apply to you. But but this is important for us all to get our heads around. There's a real danger of us being the older brother in this story, which is kind of this tagged on thought at the end. Because the father grabs the son. He puts a new cloak on him. He gives him the ring of the family so he can now be, he's basically fully restored to sonship. When we pick up in Luke 15, verse 28, listen to the rest of the story. The older brother comes in from the fields. He became angry when he saw what was going on and he refused to go in. 
So his father went out. Remember, he's now gone out to both sons. He went to where they were and he pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed yours. Anytime somebody says never or always, they just lied. Yet you never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, you want to know how your heart's doing? When you start talking about your brothers and sisters as that person or them, that's a sign something's rotten in your heart. There's an issue when you take away the relationship and start sticking labels on them. That son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes come home, you kill the fattened calf for him? Now listen to the father's pleading. My son, this is God talking to us. My child, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. This is God talking to us. But we had to celebrate and be glad. Because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. What does heaven celebrate? When lost people come home and say, I found what I was looking for. I was dead. I found life. I was lost. I found a purpose. Church, we got to be careful that the big brother mindset does not become so dominant in our heads and hearts that we forget what is most important to God that broken, hurting people can find a home for eternity. Jesus is not subtle about this. Now, I can't support this with Scripture, but if every time someone celebrates, someone is, someone is found, someone commits to God, someone is baptized and says, I'm all in with God, and the angels celebrate in heaven, then I think we need to celebrate with cake and ice cream. Can't find a specific verse. Seems right. In fact, I lived this out last Sunday night. We had a great guy. He's been coming to church for a while. Kind of been walking with God for a good season of his life. But he said, you know what? I need to give God all my heart. I haven't been baptized. I need to do this. So last Sunday night, he was baptized. We did the Zanesville equivalent of angels celebrating in heaven. Thank God Tom's ice cream bowl is open till 10. Because between a good milkshake and some hot roasted cashews, we praise God that one more was found. I hope that your heart jumps when that happens for somebody. I hope that you break and cry and sob and celebrate for all the things that God does too. So what would keep us from experiencing that? What are the threats that are really there? Well, there's a real threat to our community and we need to be blunt about it because Jesus was. See, Jesus thought, that it would be easy for us to begin fighting with each other who are not the real enemy and forget that Satan is. Because Satan would love for us to make this all about you and me. And the more he can drive wedges between us, the more he celebrates, the more he throws parties. And I don't want Satan to have no reason to have ice cream. I don't want to have no reason to have hot roast cashews from Tom's. And I say that tongue-in-cheek, but I mean it. I want him to cry out of sorrow. I want Satan to pout because he's not getting his way because God's people won't forget what's most important. And Jesus did too. So why do I believe that? Go with me to Matthew chapter 16. 
And I, I want you to read this verse with me. See, what has just happened is Jesus said, Peter, who do, you, who do you say that I am? Peter gives this great confession. You are the Christ, the son of God. He does all that stuff. And, and then Jesus responds to him this way, but it gives us this neat insight into how all this really works. So read along with me here on the screen. And I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. So here we have team A, Peter and the church. You all, right? Peter and you all, that's us. And he says, you are so powerful. You can't be stopped. And the gates of Hades and hell and death will not stand in front of you. Do you get what team you join when you follow Jesus? I mean, they've already won. It's just a matter of the details now. I mean, the the party is for sure and it's everlasting. But Satan is a great liar. And he convinces us that other things are more important. And so Jesus is saying, Peter, church, you all, remember the real enemy. And it isn't each other. See, God's got a really amazing good for us all. The primary purpose to get together, to pursue what he wants. But Satan's really good about giving us evil purposes that are selfish. And so we struggle against it and we battle and we need to not surrender. And I need to ask you a question bluntly. Are you with Jesus on his mission? Or are you pursuing your own agenda? And I wrestle with it because I got things I like and I prefer, but I'm really good about doing most things on my terms and messing them up pretty bad. When I do it his way, it tends to turn out a lot better. See, Jesus knew this, and he asks a point-blank question by making a statement. Let's go back to Luke chapter 11. We're going to read verse 23, and, and he, does, he basically draws a line in the sand with this. Luke eleven twenty-three 23 says this, Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. And so you get this picture where Jesus draws the line, and he says, If you're with me, You give me all your mind, your heart, your body, your soul. And when you give me that investment, you're going to get everything back a hundredfold, a thousandfold, and an eternal promise. But if you choose your own way, let's be honest, you may have a great life in this world. You can do things on your terms, and there's no promise that you will suffer. In fact, if anything, if I were to be really blunt... Jesus says, if you follow him in this world, you will have suffering. I know that doesn't sound great, but he also says, and it'll be worth it because in eternity, you'll never experience any of that again. But on the other side, he says, when the day comes to stand before God, the wages of sin is death. And to stand before God and have him say, I gave you a life, what did you do with it? And have our best answer be, Uh, will be the most miserable, horrible experience you could imagine. And you will receive what you have earned. You will receive what you have chosen. But if you choose God and his purpose, if if you follow Jesus, which he says, follow me, and you stand before God someday, and he will say, I gave you a life. What would you do with it? And you will say, 
but the Bible gives us a really neat picture that where we have no answer, Jesus comes and stands by us. And he says, if we stand for him in this world, he will stand with us before the Father. And so the picture is, he stands beside us and says, Father, God, it's one of ours. Remember the party we threw for him? It's good ice cream. And God will say, welcome home. And there will be a party that makes every other one look tiny and minor because you'll have eternity with the Father. So where do you stand? You get to choose in this world where your eternity will be. And Jesus said, you're either with me or you're against me. And I need you to answer that question. More importantly, God needs you to answer that question. You see, there's lots of ways we can check that. Like, we can look in a lot of ways like we're with Jesus, but we may actually be doing things on our own. Because like we can say, you know, I'm all for being an amazing community, but are we willing to make the sacrifices of what we want so we can be? I'm all for prayer. We need to pray. But are you praying? Are you pouring your heart out to God? I'm all for ending world hunger. Somebody should do something about that. Feed one person and two and three. I think somebody should help us do community outreach. We need to reach people we aren't reaching. And we're really good about talking about it. Are you willing to give up what you want most so God can get what he wants most, which is more people who don't know him coming home? And if that means we get less and less of what we want so he gets more and more of what he wants, you know what a kind of an amazing truth is? He takes care of us. And we find our heart filled to overflowing because that's how he made us. Are you willing to invest your heart, your mind, your body and soul and follow Jesus wherever he invites you on this amazing journey with him because we're better together. So we're gonna sing this song. It's just a good song about following celebrating but during it you, if you want to make a decision to follow Jesus and know that when you stand before God someday he will stand with you and I invite you to come forward following this service we're going to have a baptism tonight we're going to have another one which means I get more ice cream <laughs> yeah God wants to throw a party on your behalf and he's just waiting on you to say I'm in If you want to come forward while we sing, that may be the first step of walking with Jesus the rest of your life. Don't wait. Let's stand and sing. A thousand times I've 